Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Manxiety Podcast. We're your hosts, Ashad and Matt. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you can get notified of new episodes. If you want to share this with your friends, you can find us on all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right, we're back again this week with a very special guest. We'd like to welcome Chris Meyer to the show. Uh, he is an author, uh, a father, and many other things. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here, guys. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As are we. Uh, thank you for agreeing to join the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I'm a father of three, which I, I think is the most important thing. Uh, one of uh, the best things in life. Uh, happened to own a couple funeral homes for the last 17 years. And uh, oh, about five, seven years ago, I started building tech platforms, if you can believe it or not. And uh, I'm not much of a golfer, so my hobby is writing books. And uh, I just finished my fourth one called The Book of Moments. Um, and uh, grew up in New York, had a great childhood. Mom and dad, uh, youngest of three brothers. And uh, spent a little time in Los Angeles uh, trying to be a screenwriter in Hollywood, which is a brutal lifestyle, as I'm sure uh, you guys in SoCal might know. And, uh, you know, uh, happily married for 20, almost 22 years now. So, yeah. And wow. uh, like I said, nothing better than being a dad. And I know, uh, A-Shot, you're uh, coming up here on a <laughs> countdown has started. So Yep. Uh, yep. I... Uh been attending those Lamaze classes and yesterday I got to see a, a woman give birth to a baby and then give birth to her placenta, which, you know, never <laughs> <Shocking>. thought. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, the, the instructor was, uh, but before, you know, before she put on the video, she was like, hey guys, uh, you know, if you guys are squeamish, please look away. And also, it is a very big screen. The placenta is not really that big. <laughs> well, that's good. Like, yeah, yeah she's giving a us lot. a heads up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so funeral homes. What? How did you get into the funeral home business? Yeah, so as I said, I had been in Los Angeles for about 11 years. I met my wife down there, uh, and we had a son there. And my wife had been sort of carrying the family working and I was this quote unquote uh, screenwriter <laughs> uh, not not successful um, and uh, you know seeing that boy uh, for the first time it kind of changed me albeit at a very late age in my life uh, had a little bit of the Peter Pan syndrome and uh, you know uh, my wife said I'd, I really want to be a mom and so my options were uh, she had a friend in the family who had always been saying he was a mortician. He'd always been saying what a solid business it was, you know, um, very uh, recession proof. <laughs> and, uh, I was an attorney in New York and I knew I didn't want to do that because I, that was going to be long hours and I wanted to be in my, my children's lives. So lo and behold, that was the best option for me. And we got very, very lucky and, and uh, found a home, a funeral home on the cusp of bankruptcy. And my parents helped us. And that's that's how the story goes. But uh, it is nothing that I ever aspired to. Um, and it was probably the one of the greatest moments or, or times of my life uh, because I had to 
I didn't really have plan B, you know? Right. And um, with a young one at home, uh, it, it, it made, it really motivated me because I, I knew I could work. Um, but I always thought I'd be the sort of the, the behind the scenes guy. And in a small funeral home, family owned funeral home, you have to wear many hats and slowly, but surely, um, you know, you d- take a, a step deeper into, you know, first picking people up and then going to the coroner's office and then into the prep room and, and, you know, after a while, you know, like I said, there just wasn't a plan B and I just had to suck it up and do it. And even though at times it might not have been comfortable, um, I think, you know, you'll find that having children sobers you that way. And it, uh, it certainly did for me. And what yeah. I particularly loved about it was that, you know, it was so dramatic because in, in my day job, I was seeing death every day. <laughs> And at my night job, it was, you know, helping my wife with my newborn. And so that dichotomy was very interesting. And then we had a second son and a third son. And, you know, like I said, after a couple of years and meeting with families, the stories start repeating themselves. And I said, I got to write this down and share it with people because, you know, it's, you, you, we all kind of know it, you know, very practical advice, but for me, it was really great. It was just like smack you, wake up, smell the coffee and get off the habit trail of life once in a while. Right. Yeah. And appreciate it. And I thought there was really a important message here uh, because it, it did give me a lot of anxiety. I was really, really nervous. I, I told you too, before we started here that I, I'm probably undiagnosed. But that, um, you know, that fight or flight, <laughs> you know, when, when there is no option B, um, I think I turned that anxiety into something positive for me, right? I just went throttled down and put the blinders on. And I know not everyone can do that, but that's, I, I felt anxious in my brain because I had been out of the workforce for so long. And I was like, you know, crap, am I even employable? You know, so, um, I just, I just dropped the throttle and went straight down. And so I was, I went heads deep into the, the funeral home business. And like you said, I, I had no interest or anything at all, no experience, but, uh, it was very, very enlightening for me and it changed my life really. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that, that's amazing that you were able to use that anxiety and kind of make it something positive, right? Uh, you know, we see it a lot where anxiety can just cripple people mm-hmm. and kind of it, it, it does the opposite effect, right? Instead of motivating them, they get very uh, put down or unable to continue. So, you know, more, more power to you for being able to use that as, as kind of the fuel to, you know, keep it going. Um, you know, along with that, you know, that anxiety that you felt, how because death is a very big uh topic of anxiety for a lot of people too you know did did getting into the funeral home business and kind of being around death so much have any kind of effect like that on you initially think, does it still you know what was the i think it still does yeah so like i like i said i i would have thought you know, early on, I was meeting a lot with families and, um, you know, probably six, seven years in, I was like, if I do this for the rest of my life, I'm, I could be in trouble because, 
Uh, I'm the kind of guy, I'm a very emotional guy. I'm more of the passionate guy. Um, my wife is more of the steady force. And I found myself um, admittedly tending to <laughs> empathize so much with each family that it was hard for me to extract myself. And, um, you know, I would get caught up in their stories. And I think I think to some extent that was really good. That probably made me a good funeral arranger. But at, at when I left for the day, I was like, wow, man, I'm, I'm exhausted. And, you know, if I do this, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I could do it. And so that I kind of made a conscious decision in my own brain that I think I'm better if I get behind the scenes because I'm too close to this. I'm, a, I'm an emotional being. I'm not a robot, which you, you need to be a little bit robotic. Of course, there is some, a glimmer of empathy in everything you have to, but um, I was just too into it. I would right. buy in to every um, situation and it was exhausting. Yeah. yeah, I bet. Yeah. But I, I do think also being in the funeral industry, you think more about death just naturally, right? And uh, I think it, you know, I say in the book, it could go two ways. You could start drinking at 930 in the morning or you can leave at 334 o'clock and go to your children's school and watch the school play and coach everything. And that's what I tried to do because I knew I knew what the alternative was and people had told me. At repeatedly go home, be with your children. They're small, enjoy them, go coach. And that's what I did. So I really, I, I felt like I was taking the messages that I was learning every day that the, the people were heeding, you know, saying, Chris, go. And, and I did it. And so, you know, my boys are, I have one going to college now for the first wow. one. So eight, 18, 15 and 13. And that those years, it was a blink of an eye. It literally was a blink of an eye. And, uh, you know, that's why I encourage you just, you know, it is anxious. It is anxiety provoking. I would imagine being a dad for the first time. I, I certainly felt it. I think most men feel it. Um, I had a discussion just last, uh, the other week with someone about this and, you know, they, they give you the child <laughs> after a day or two in the hospital and say, okay, you know, see you later, <laughs> you and your wife and you, <laughs> you know, your wife looks at you like, what the hell are we doing? We're not equipped for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, figure it out, guys. We get together because you know you you're not, and and I will say this that there is I don't know what it is, and I think there's just something inside that kicks in and says, you know, again, what is option B? Option B is what call mom and dad or you know, the Red Cross. I don't know who yeah. it is. Right, you know right. So um, no, I think instinctively you'll you'll find and you'll find your place. And again, there's no right. You know, we're all making it up. That's the other thing. I think that's a, the, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the trepidation that people feel um, in life, just generally. I think it's everyone thinks someone else got it figured out. Yep. And I, again, I, I, I talk to our kids and I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm making this up. I don't know what I'm doing. You might think, I mean, you might think I'm the dad, but Literally, I mean, I, I talk to like that to my boys because I really, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm making it up and I'm trying to, look, I'm trying to teach you some good morals and send you to a good school and surround you with good people. But, you know, I'm just winging it, dude. Yeah. No, I mean, the, you know, the saying fake it till you make it is, is, is right. so true. You just, you just got to jump in and do it. And then, 
you know, one day you'll be, you'll look back and you're like, damn, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. And, right. you know, yeah. this whole time yeah. I've been, <laughs> exactly. I've been winging it, exactly. but at some point it becomes, you know, you've stopped winging it and you actually learn how to do this or that or became, you know, whatever it is. But I don't know that anyone, I mean, I guess some guys do, but I don't know that like I'm older than you guys certainly. And I don't know that I feel proficient in anything, even though I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I think that's part of it. And I don't know if that's sort of the, the innate curiosity that I have in my head. No, I'm always wanting to learn things. So I think that's a good trait that I have, but I don't feel like, you know, that master class proficiency in, in anything, you know, I mean, fu- really. funeral home business. No, <laughs> no, I, sh- I have experiences. Sure. And yes, yeah. I do have those and I could probably prepare people for that, but I don't feel like, I, I feel like that's almost like psychology and it's almost, there's a pragmatism to it all. Right. Well, one of my I, old school Christmas, remember those Christmas shows and there was those claymation ones that were from like the seventies. And there was one, I, I don't, I forget which one it was, but it was that song that everyone knows, right? Put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door. Well, that that's life, right? I mean, that's life. You got to take that step and right. who the frick knows where you're going. You know, most of the time you don't, especially as a young man, I didn't know where I was going, but you yeah. got to take that step, right? Yeah, you know, S- Steve Jobs is one of my kind of uh, heroes and one of my uh, idols, I guess. And uh, he had a really good quote uh, that he gave during a, um, a graduation speech, which was, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. It's great. It's a great quote. Yeah. And it's uh, it's so true in so many things. You know, you never know how how you got here. You, you know, you, you don't know where you're going to go. And you don't know how you got here unless you start looking back and you're like, you know, these things got me to where I am. But I hadn't planned to do any of those, right? Like I was winging it every single step of the way. (laughs) But now I'm here and I made it. Right. Yeah. And Jobs got fired from from Apple, right? I mean, he got fired originally and came back. And so it's like, it's just, it's interesting. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's hard because you look at someone or you look at society and you think, man, wow, everyone's got it really figured out. And why am I like this? And it's, you know what? That's a bunch of bullshit. No, oh, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the great part about this podcast, right? We got to dispel that the rest of these people out here got it on and got it going on. No, nah, they're just, they took the first step, you know? Uh, yeah. That's the thing. Everybody has that inner voice, that inner critic that tells them I'm not good enough. I haven't connected enough dots, right? I'm not the, the not even perfect. I'm not, I'm not good at being a father yet, whatever it may be. Right. Right. Everybody's got that voice, but something you said, Chris earlier about um, things being made up, right. I'm using this a lot now where I go, everything we do is made up, right. Your, your name, my name is made up. The words we're speaking is made up. It's just my tongue making a shape air coming out of my mouth and and where we hope we can understand exactly what we mean, but, but language is the connection between us, but also that connection gets muted sometimes. Right. For sure trying to figure it all out while, while you're figuring out your life. And like you said, if you got no plan B, where you go, where do you go from there? Just one foot in front of the other. Now you got three funeral homes and you've been doing it for 17 years and you're like, all right, I'm here now. What's next? Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the best takeaway, right? I own a bunch of funeral homes and I still don't have it figured out. So (laughs) what the hell, you know? So, so there's hope for everyone. Well, Um, it's, it's like that quote, the only things in life that are guaranteed are death and taxes. 
<laughs> so in California, we sure as shit have the taxes part we nailed do. down a bit. So <laughs> we got that part down, and and Chris yeah. has the death death part yeah. down. So <laughs> if you need I'm here. There we go. So all right, no, that that um, you know it's important that you say that, Matthew, because that that inner voice that is the demon, right? And I think that um, whether you know you have officially anxiety or some sort of mental health issue. That's the inner voice. Let me tell you that people who don't consider themselves mentally ill or have anxiety have that inner voice too. And it's, it's trying to train that inner voice, right? To, to, stay, to just say, take the step. Just, just try one or just step off the habit trail or just ask that girl out or, you know, you gotta. And I talk a lot about other one of my other favorite things with my sons, especially is failure. And I like, I grew up in a in what the seventies or so, and my parents were of that you know fifties generation. Parents stay in the job for 50, 30 years and retire and get a gold watch. And we were almost taught that failure was bad, and I'm trying to say failure is good. Because you're taking, you're trying, right? Yep. I don't care if you fail, boys, because I'm proud of you because you took a step to try. And the only thing I ask is try not to make that same mistake multiple times. You got to learn from that. You put it as your brick. And then you know what? Let's throw another brick on there and we'll try that. And then after, and it's a long time sometimes, but there's your house. You got a solid foundation because you effed up how many times, but you learn from it and you got the bricks underneath you. And that's, that's what I try to teach. So it's interesting how generation, just one generation removed, I've, I've flipped the script. At least I feel that in my, in my family and the way I grew up. And I, again, I had classic great parents, nothing, suburbia, New York, beautiful, had every, anything I wanted. But um, it's a mentality. It was a a paradigm shift in the way we treat failure. And I think it's good. I really do. No, I I really like that approach uh, as well. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I can teach my kid the same thing because, you know, if, if you're only, if you only make the right moves, right? You never, well, one, there is no way to only make the right moves, but assuming we're, (laughs) we live in a reality where you only make the right moves you never have the room to learn, right? We learn by failure. We learn by doing something, it not working out and then trying something different and it gets our mind working and it it spurs creativity, right? To find other ways of doing things. There's, There's so much to gain from failure. And sometimes, especially the older generation, look at failure and they're like, no, like you should have prepared more. You should have done more. You should have done whatever not to fail. But uh, I don't know if they don't realize that <laughs> if they grew up not failing or if they forgot that they failed before to get where they are um, or if it's just because they have this um, kind of like th- this veil over them that says, like, you know, if my child fails, then I'm a failure as a parent. Right. And I don't know if that's a, kind of like this transitive thing that happens. And that's why they're like, no, you can't fail. but. You know, I'm I'm very big about letting people try things. You know, this goes for my other family, my cousins, you know, my employees, letting them try things. And, you know, it might fail, 
but it might also work out and it might work better than what we have today. Right. You, you know, you, you won't know unless you try. That's true. That's so true. And I think, you know, if we're speaking about, you know, our parents, I think, uh, for me, society, especially like suburban society is very much about keeping up with the Joneses, you know, and I, my, again, one of my famous phrases says is the, the Joneses, A, either don't exist or they're so fucking messed up that you don't want to be like the Joneses. Yeah. And suburbia is very much like that. I mean, we all aspire to driving the right car, sending the kids to the right school. And I think you you said it best, it shot, right? Because you said it was like, it's almost like the parents, it's like, these are a reflection on me. And yes, I, I get that. But I, I think, you know, especially coming from a Jobsian guy, you want the freak, you want the guy, those are the people who are going to change the world, right? Yeah. Sure, Elon Musk wasn't a super popular dude in uh, South Africa hanging out, but those are the change, the people who, who can change the world, the Wasman, oh, yeah. you know, the guys who are sitting in some guy's garage, you know, digit heading, you know, digiting out. Those are, you don't think about that, but the probably the freaks in high school are the ones we're all going to be working for, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's definitely a, a, a shift in your frame of mind, right? Uh, kind of going back to what you said about, uh, you know, parents seeing the failure and it being a reflection of them. You can also look at it as, you know, when your kid fails, but they're able to overcome that and try something else, you can see that as a success because you taught them not to give up, right? right. And to, um, you know, be creative and find other ways of doing things and all this. Like you can find your, your hard work, your hard work and your, um, uh, you know, let that be the reflection of you, not, not the kind of the, the outcome. Right. And um, your kids are just a, they're just an, they're an extension of you. Yes. But man, I have three sons and I say this all the time. I couldn't parent them all the same. They're such different, unique individuals that if I did that, I would be doing a disservice to them. They're so unique and you have to understand their skill set. Just like if you were probably at at your shop, you have to understand which people are the best in which position, right? You can't everyone can't do the same role. Right. And it's really like that. <laughs> I don't want to scare you being a dad again. Oh, no, not at all. They're so unique. They're just so different. And it's I, like, I appreciate wow. the advice. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen that too, right? Like I've seen parents that try to do the same parenting style with everyone. I've seen managers try to manage everyone, this, all of their employees the same exact way. It, it almost never works. Yeah. You, you'll have, you know, one child or one employee that loves it and then you'll have you know 10 others that hate it or you know right if you have 10 other kids maybe but (laughs) you know others that don't like it as much correct yeah um going back to talking about uh, a little bit about funerals though we uh so the, the whole death aspect of it me and matt were at at this event uh over the weekend and there was a very interesting take on funerals that they did and kind of like flipping the script in a way, but, uh, they had this camp called funerals, right? And it's obviously like a funeral, but it's fun. And you would have people that, you know, you can die 
right? And you can choose what kind of funeral you'd like. And then people would come and, you know, make up stuff about you. And it was this whole experience of, uh, you know, like, what would people say? Like, if you could be alive at your own funeral okay. and hear what people had to say, yeah. what would it be like? Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's, I think it's wild for some people to to think about that and go like, you know, why would I want to be alive for that? Or why would I want to hear all this? Um, and, and it can cause anxiety, but like uh, understanding that death is inevitable and being able to kind of accept it to the, to the point of, uh, you know, having some fun with it. Right. I, I, I think it's, it's just so important. So eye opening to, to be able to, to do something like that, to, you know, sit there and like laugh about stuff uh, as you're laying there listening to people making stuff up about you. Right. Right. Or, or the even better thing would be, when you're alive, right, to share those moments with those who you truly love and um, have those real moments then. I, I obviously, because I have uh, my position and I have heard many, many funerals and I always thought that, right, that, that to me resonated the most. I always felt like, I felt like smacking someone and saying, I hope you told them that in their lifetime, right? Because they're so powerful and they're so meaningful. And generally they get every, they hit, you know, a good one, a good, a good speaker hits at everyone, you know, at that right. board about this guy, that Jerry, who's laying in the casket. Right. And, you know, I say that to my parents all the time. It's like, Hey man, don't leave me money. Let's go do it now. Let's go out to dinner now. Let's go on the vacation now. Let's sit and chat now. And, you know, that's the good stuff. You know, I uh, <laughs> I told you guys I just finished another book called The Book of Moments. And it's about, it's just a very simple book, one page, and has one line on every page. And it's the seminal moments in your life, the birth of your child, the death of a loved one, the first time you kissed a girl, you know, the, 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 the greatest, you know, football game you ever played in, or, you know, all those, these seminal moments of our lives. And the whole idea of it is appreciation is to recollect those moments. And, and the book will mean something so uniquely different to you than it would to Matt, right? right. Or it would to my mother or it would to me. And, the greater part of that all is wouldn't it be cool if we could share that with generations, right? So that my kids knew, even though it would be like, ew, gross, dad, you know, the <laughs> first girl that you kissed or the first crush right. you had. It would be cool to share those stories because to me, family is who's going to be there on your deathbed, right? And that's that's the – I always say that. I say those are the people you want to be with. When we're young men or we're overthinking things, we're always like – yeah, I should be out at that party or I should be at that bar and at that 20. Dude, man, it's this, it's this small and insular who are the people that are mattering in your life. Right. And we don't realize that as young men and women. I know we don't because we're in an Instagram society and everyone's balling with their bikini on and that, that's just not it. It's just not it. And I believe that we would dis not I, we wouldn't do away with it, but we can dispel these rumors of what life is. I'm telling you what life is. I know, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's those that that little group is means everything. 
And it doesn't have to be family. You know, I've heard people say to me, well, Chris, I don't have, you know, my mom died when I was a kid. It, family is how you define family. Yep. Right. I got, I got a friend from law school. He's like my brother. He's yep. literally like my brother. And I talk to him five times a week and it's ridiculous. But he, he, I consider him family. My kids call him uncle, you know, it's how you define it, but it's, yep. it's how me and Matt are too. Right. And, it, and you realize that more and more as you get older, that your group of who matters is, is really, is, is that. It shrinks. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. How, how big is your book of moments? How, how long is it? Cause you said it's one page, one well, moment no, per page. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's about 6,000 words. I think there's like 250 moments. Moments. Okay. But then I have a volume two coming out at, in uh, November because there was, I had so many. I had, so I broke it up, I think, into life and family and then like into friends and best of, right? That, so I'm a New Yorker. So the best pizza pizza I ever had, <laughs> yeah. right? Or, or the best cannoli or something, you know, like that, you know? So, um, we all have those, you know, uh, moments in time. And, I thought, you know, maybe someone could play it as a game at a dinner party. You open it up and it says, you know, tell me about the worst experience you had with a toilet, you know, and <laughs> something like, you know, stuff like that. There's a little cheeky stuff in there. No pun intended. Um, uh, <laughs> so, wow, that was pretty good. I didn't that was very good. <laughs> yeah. Great dad joke. <laughs> I, I got to learn to, I got to learn some of those. Yeah, that's me. Here soon. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. But uh, yeah. I, I think that's so great, Chris, because it's also you can look back and reflect at those moments, but it's like maybe I don't have a funny toilet story. Yeah. Not that I want to go create one of those, but may, maybe I haven't done something yes. in the book. Call me, I can give these, you some foods to eat. You know, one of these one of these celebrated moments, and you can almost look at yeah. it as like a roadmap to Chris, find me he's out. so genius. I want to have one of those moments. Well, mine mine so far, that my funniest interaction with the toilet that I just thought of would be uh, the first time I ever got a bidet. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. I got a bidet like changing, seven eh? or eight years ago or something. <laughs> and uh, me and my roommate at the time were like, I was like, Hey, I read about this online. I want to get it right. We didn't have warm water, nothing. It just shot a stream straight up, you know, straight up the butt. And I was like, woo. And I, there might be a video of it somewhere, but I, I felt like I was doing a Michael Jackson impression. Cause I was as high pitched as I think I've ever been. And, I was just like, cool. So since then, been a been a fan of the bidets, right? You know, but um, I love that. Yeah. Do you, do you have that woo moment every time you use it? <laughs> not not every time, but there are some times in like the middle of the night or something where I'm like, I should probably upgrade to the heated one still. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of roughing it out here with the with the cool water one. I uh, love it. But yeah, so yeah. you know, there you go. There we you go. That one. See, we all have one. I know it. <laughs> I'll I'll fill it out. <laughs> That's, so that's funny. Um, oh, so so you said you have four books, right? Or this yeah. this is the fourth one that's coming out, four and we books. know about your life in twenty lessons. What are some of your other books that that you've written? What are they about? Yeah, so I wrote a book called The Wood, and uh, it was about my experience in Hollywood, but it was it's a fictional. Um, so I I felt that you know I had always loved uh, stories about Hollywood, like The Player or Swimming with Sharks. And of course, uh, what is the series uh, Entourage, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I felt that there was never a movie that fully explained to like the guy in Peoria about how the system works. So I kind of couched it in that. So 
you know, I was always sort of a fringe player on Hollywood. So I saw a lot of things and I was a screenwriter trying to get in, got a manager and an agent. So I had a real good macro view of how things work. And in my world, you know, I kind of felt like 15 people in Hollywood could actually greenlight a movie. That's it. And so that was kind of the basic concept of it. So that's one. I, it's a, my first attempt at fiction and I loved writing it. Um, and then my uh, third book is about my son and my journey. Um, I was his basketball coach from kindergarten to eighth grade. Wow. And uh, it was a unique view because, you know, I kind of grew up with the kids and it, it parallels my journey in uh, suburban New York of falling in love with the, the game of basketball. So all my books have that central theme of family, fatherhood, and, uh, you know, friendships. So uh, there is a running theme through my stuff. But I, I also write what I want to write. I am not beholden to a publishing house, which is awesome. And, uh, of course, it would be great to be with Random House or someone big. But um, I, I am able to write what I write, and what I want. And I didn't have to write life more life in 20 lessons and right. even more life and you know that's not what i wanted to do um so i am creating quite a uh a little reservoir of memories for my children i feel so yeah yeah no that's amazing and i can imagine that all of these stories you've written have inspired moments right uh your moments book yeah um so uh, that's uh that's very cool that that kind of interplays with one another yeah, I mean, um, I, again, I, I, I think my big thing is, especially with the in, my, my funeral home experience, is, you know, wake up. You know, you said it earlier, Ashad. I think it's a limited time that we're here on the planet. It's so limited. And God knows we, we've all known people who it's ended way too soon, uh, more, more soon than it should. Um, so enjoy. Find something it is that you enjoy. And, you know, you said you're a Jobs fan. I happen to be a big fan of my father who who broke out on his own. And I witnessed it um, building a company from our living room to, you know, a 50 person company. And that was so amazing. And I it was civil engineering, which is really kind of dry. I don't know if you guys. Yeah. And but I, I, I say to everyone who will listen there was so much joy in his face and his eyes when he regaled stories of his work day that I said, you know, I want to do that. And it, right. it wasn't civil engineering. It's just, I want to be that happy doing what I I'm doing, you know, whatever it is. And I credit my father and mother who uh, helped him um, immeasurably with, was just instilling that in me. And it's cool. It's cool. Uh, it's short, it's short time guys. We're here. So, you know, do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that story because it reminds me of this thing I read a while ago where it's like some, you know, it's a little kid and, and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, when you were a kid, Chris, maybe you said lawyer, right? You became a lawyer for a bit. Uh, I said the same thing. I was like, I saw a liar, liar. I want to be a lawyer. I like Jim Carrey. He said lawyer. <laughs> I said that at my fifth grade graduation. I want to be a lawyer. And uh, in the story, the kid goes, I want to be happy. Mm. Yeah. And the teacher goes, no, you don't understand the, 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 you know, the question. It's about your future, whatever, blah, blah. And he's like, you don't, and the, and the kid, I mean, it's probably made up because the kid <laughs> like, would actually think this. The right. kid goes, you don't understand life, right? Now, that's a very sassy little kid, maybe, right. maybe. Um, right. But it's like, you know, the, the point is to 
I think like life is just to, to be as happy as you can and spread that happiness to other people, you know, and have those moments of joy and, and really to build memories with people, right? Like, you know, you see the people that say, save it for a rainy day, just work, 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 work. Um, and then one day it'll all click and everything will be happy. And then they get hit by a car and, um, maybe, maybe bring you some business, but certainly not. <laughs> no, know, no, Matt, you're, that is exactly right. And, and I am here to tell you and your listeners, there is an infinite line of people who lived like that and died when they stopped working and they got the gold watch and they didn't get to enjoy uh, the fruits of their labor infinite. And so your little parable <laughs> is resonates and it should resonate with everyone. And yes, look at the, the complexity of it all is that we need to afford a roof over our head and something to drive and something, you know, some savings. And yes, I get that. But, and I think it sounds like you guys are know it or are on your way to knowing it. It's a lot less than we think. Uh, that we need, you know, and I think we collectively as a society complicate it by just the the incessant media commercials that are thrown at us in every which godforsaken way known to man, you know. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, we, you know, when the last generation kind of talks about how things were it's it, it's so different from how they are now uh, because of social media and because of this whole interconnectivity between everyone right anywhere in the world um and it's not a bad thing i i, I actually think that it, it's a really great thing if it's used in the right way but in a lot of cases you know it's it, it's used for you know, for greed or for vanity or for um, just showing your appearances and less about showing people who you actually are, right? Uh, you know, you see influencers, right? It's this new word now. Influencers going around and doing things, right, to influence people to, to buy something or to do something. Right. And in most cases, these people don't even believe in the product or the thing that they're doing. Of course not. It, yeah. It, it's just they're trying to sell something. They're a salesman. They're, they're a used car salesman or uh, a snake oil salesman from back right. then. Right. They, yeah. they just now have a new platform to go around and uh, to tell you how great this uh, potion is at curing, I don't know, yeah. stomach aches or, or some BS. Right. That's just Pepto Bismol. That's yeah. That's what you need. <laughs> We've got that figured out. Matt Matt liked the toilet one. He's going back there again. <laughs> I, I, I think the bidet it one tops it. People, Matt, see? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it's not like a traveling shitting my brains out story. So I think I'll keep I'll keep it the bidet one. I'll, I'll yeah, exactly. No, I. You know. Um, yeah. The social media is is a funny funny animal. There. You know. I think there's part of me that loves it, loves every aspect of it. And I will say this, as a creative person, I think the outlet of TikTok has brought creativity to a whole generation of people that heretofore probably wouldn't have ever tried things. And right. I do love that about TikTok, um, that 
you could get the wackiest shit, just hold up your camera and and record it and throw it up there. There is something beautiful about the instantaneousness of throwing shit against the wall and seeing if it'll stick, right? And I I do love the, that as a creative medi- medium. And creative I use in a very loose term. But it is, it's fascinating to me. Um, I'm not saying there's much substance there, but it does fascinate me. Um, and uh, yeah, I just hope that it could veer to uh, doing good, some good. And I think it does. I think there are instances, maybe uh, albeit too small, but uh, there are instances in where social media can do really, really good and powerful things. I agree. I mean, you know, the, the premise of social media when it began was to get people connected, which right. it did. Right. Um, sure. it, it was just over time, right? People kind of did what they do, found ways to make profits. Right. Um, and, and, you know, just started utilizing this tool. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, and uh, sorry, I, when we were talking about the moments thing earlier and, and your book and kind of when you were saying that all of these moments and like, these were like highlights, right. Throughout your life, they kind of talk about. Well, there's low lights too. I, I didn't. Low I didn't, lights, highlights. <laughs> I, I, didn't make it, I didn't make it all cherries because I, that's not who I am. And right. I love, I love failures and failures are great stories. Mm-hmm. Usually probably better stories than your success stories. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, again, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, so go ahead. No, no, I, no. I was telling us, I, I, one of my books I tell about, a uh, one-on-one I had with Mel Gibson at, to be his interviewed as his uh, assistant and how I went in there and totally had, it was th- the time just before Once Were Warriors, which I call Vietnam Braveheart, um, was about to be released and I read it, dissected it, knew it all, and basically told him what, you know, Academy Award winning Randall, uh, whatever his name was, who wrote the script, what he did wrong. And uh, Mel Gibson just sat there and listened to me. And um, I went back uh, to my job the next day and the lady, the head of the studio called me in and said, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) What what are you talking about? And he's like, you told Mel Gibson that the Academy Award winning a writer of Once We Were Warriors didn't have a good script. And I was like, well, now that you say it like that, it sounds a lot worse, you know? But I mean, oh, that's that wild. a true story, and obviously I didn't get the job, but uh, I thought it was a great story to tell. No, it's an amazing story. It, it had to be bad because she could have just not called you back and you would have just assumed I didn't get the job. But no, she's like, exactly. I have to deliver this message. <laughs> oh, it's so great. It was so great. But then I, you know, I finished the story because like you walk down the hall and you think, you know, everyone knows exactly, you know, why you're walking away. And I remember going back to a little cubicle. I was, I was working on like the Academy Award campaign for this small art house studio. And I went back into my cubicle and I was, I felt unbelievable like the head of the studio just ripped me a new one and basically said get the fuck out of my office and i'm sitting in my cubicle and some one of my coworkers like tears around the corner like ducks behind my desk and he's like 
tell me it's true. Tell me you told Mel Gibson is a piece of shit. And then he goes, you're a fucking god. And he runs away. <laughs> I swear to God. So in the one instance, with the new asshole. And in the other instance, I'm a god. You know, it's like, it was great. It was just the beauty of it all, right? <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's such a good story. <laughs> Definitely was, one of those big highlights. Every word is true. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Um <laughs> No, what I was saying is Matt once explained uh, or had uh, explained kind of this uh, this way, right, of of kind of kind of how your moments are where. And I think the way you said it, Matt, I don't know if you remember, is life is like a string of lights and you have these moments that are the light bulbs. Right. So usually you're just like on the string They're you know, the. Every day is kind of the same, maybe a little bit different, not too much going on. But then you you get to this light, right? And this light is like this moment where something significant occurs. Again, whether it's a highlight or a low light or whatever it is. And then, you know, once that's done, you kind of keep going a little bit more until the next one and the next one. And it's just this string of moments or lights, like you were mentioning. Um, so it is interesting that it's, uh, you know, it's it's such a repeating um pattern right that everyone goes through life in a very similar way you don't see anyone i think that is a hundred percent true right and that's another reason a great reason for this podcast what we have to share with people right there's a i have one graph in my uh book and it's the the presumed arc of life and it goes perfect right angle to the sky right and then I have the real graph of life. And it's like this. Because that that's the way it is. It's freaking peaks and valleys. And it's, it's what Matt's example was, right? I mean, he said it a little more eloquently because it's more of a flat line to the bulb, flat line to the bulb. Well, depending on who you are, <laughs> you know, there's a, a shit ton of peaks and valleys. And, right. you know, the beauty of a valley is that there's only one way to go, you know? And it's, it's going to rise. Yep. No matter how shitty you feel right at that moment, there's one way to go, brother. And, you know, you go up and you just got to take that step and keep taking them because, yeah. uh, you know, that's the way I feel. I mean, again. No, I, no, you're completely a, right. Once, a, once you hit bottom. I'm a psychologist, but uh, I've been there and, and everyone's been there. You know, that's yeah. the other thing. Everyone's been there and no one talks about the freaking valleys. You know, the valleys well, are... They don't talk about it at all. Right. Not even just the valleys, but I mean, me and Matt, we, you know, we were each, uh, I don't know if you've kind of read our story at all or listened, but like we were each kind of suffering separately, independently, not talking to each other about it at all, thinking that we're the only ones going through this. And it wasn't until one day we, the conversation sparked up and we're like, holy shit, we're going through the same things, right? And then as we started talking about it more and more, uh, with friends and family and all these other people, we found out that they're going through the same things too. Hell yeah! And they just never talked about it, right? Hell yeah! And then they would they would look at me or Matt and they're like, "No, you can't be going through this, right? You you have a job or you're doing this or you're doing that or you seem like, so well adjusted, right? That's exactly the thing you do a lot. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a bunch of crap. I mean, those people are probably even more. You know, I, I think it's way more prevalent. That's why I say, you know, I said to you guys maybe a little flippantly at, before the, the the broadcast that we started is that maybe I'm undiagnosed, but 
I'm telling you, it's everyone. Yeah. It's yeah. That's the thing. It's like going through life. You're going to have anxiety, right? You're going to have sadness, emotions, whatever. And if you don't have a way to communicate to anybody or to have a language to speak about it, you're just stuck in your own hole. And the example of like, if I'm in my hole and you're in your hole and a shot's in his hole, the way you kind of get out of the hole is you can dig a tunnel to the other hole in this example. And then there's two people in one hole and you can get on my shoulders and I'll push you up and now you're out of the hole. And right. hopefully you put your hand back down and help me you yeah. know, out of the hole too, right? It's, it's like the, or the people when that- we're in our hole, we share our experiences together and we help each other verbally by getting out of the hole together. Yeah, right? You, you, you yell out of the That's hole and you say, hey, right? use the shovel. Right, right. Use the, <laughs> the freaking ladder. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a rope there. Climb up. Idiot. <laughs> oh, you're not strong enough. Do some push-ups. It's okay. Um, Stop digging holes. Start building stairs. Right. Yeah, right. and that's the thing where like I think it's yeah. so important though, Chris, as well. You're talking about like having, um, you know, giving your experience to like the younger generations, your sons, everybody else, and having that as a platform because – we, you know, we're like, finally, we're like six years old, like history repeats itself, history repeats itself. And then what do you find? You know, you go through life and you go, oh shit, like everybody told me to, to capture these moments, to do this, to do this, but I didn't really do it. Right. I thought I was different. I thought I was special. I thought I had to go and make the millions of dollars and then come back to it. Right. And, um, you know, when you just hear it over and over again, it, it, you should go do those things. Right. It's like, they always say, you know, like hold your loved ones close and tell them you love them while they're here. And, oh, and you brought up a good point earlier about the the funeral stuff where like, you know, you want to shake somebody. Did you tell them when they were alive? You know, why'd you wait until they were dead to say those beautiful words to them when right. they could have, you know, meant so much to them uh, otherwise? And yeah, because it's what, you know what it is, I, especially with men, right? It's vulnerability, right? And I think that's a hard word, you know, I depending on, you know, which school of thought you believe in, you know, men are supposed to be, you know, macho or stuff like that. And that's some sort of weakness. And to me, again, this is just my unique skill set and my unique life story that I, that vulnerability I thrive on and I admire. And I, when someone tells me a story of weakness, I think, holy shit, the courage that, that involved to share that with me, you're my bro for life. I mean, I just, and let me tell you some, some of the shit in my, in my life too, because I already now I feel a kismet right in that vulnerability. And, you know, again, uh, kudos to you guys, because that, if that's the whole genesis of this podcast and the idea, what better way to then get it out there and just make it out for everyone to listen to. I mean, think about, you, you probably don't even realize how many people you're helping. And I, again, I just think it's, I was so pumped when I heard, you know, the, the basic idea of the whole idea behind anxiety. And I was like, this is genius. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just good and you're doing good. And I, you know, I think you both know that, but I mean, gosh, I, I can just imagine some kid somewhere in remote rural Nebraska listening and and saying, Oh shit, you mean there's more people like me because he doesn't have the access to whether it be a TV or social media or a telephone or whatever it may be. How do I hook in? And Oh, Oh, okay. So this is more common than just this unique experience to me in rural Nebraska when I'm just, you know, looking at frogs, you know, right. 
And yeah, and I we appreciate that, Chris. <laughs> well, and no, it's it's kind of what you said. It's it's just the power uh, behind the talking and and letting know that there's other people in in my foxhole in the mole hole with me, right? Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, again, thank you for all the kind words. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you. you know, we when we found out you're coming to the show, we we were very excited to have you too and talk about you know death and life and kind of all of your experiences too. Um that you know the whole macho man thing right I, I i think kind of like what you said we're trying to dispel that right because that kid in nebraska hmm. chances are he may have access to all of those things you just said but the people around him are probably other people that are acting macho and he's like well now i gotta act macho too i can't talk about my feelings and i can't talk about what's going on in my life what i'm thinking or any of this i have to be strong at all times right right and 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 it's it's kind of like a handicap, right? It's crippling him and, and others, and they don't realize that until you let that out, until you can share that and kind of take ownership of it and own it, you can't reach that next level, right? Become even stronger, uh, become even a, an even better version of yourself than you are today. I think so. I think so, and I, I think you know. It, the responsibility of being a parent or a teacher or a mentor is enormous. And, um, you know, uh, as we, as we succeed or mature in life, I think it's really important that we find people in society that need that mentorship or need that. I call it a friendship just a helping hand and to try to advise them. And, and it is, again, things like this, the talking, uh, I think there's no better way because, uh, we will connect in talking about it and dispelling some of those rumors uh, or, or not rumors of, of stereotypes that are out there. Right. Um, and again, it, it's cross all it's, whether it's macho, whether it's racism, whether it's what, you know, talking about it is always better for me. I completely agree. Yeah, I think nobody, like at it at at a very fundamental level, nobody gets through life without help, right? Without mm -hmm. being helped, and even if you think about from being a child, right? You can't obviously do anything on your own for the first few years, right? Right? You you have to have somebody help you, and for whatever reason, we kind of just get to this point where we think, I don't want help, I I don't need it, I'm you know I'm better than it or whatever, and um, it's it's not really true, right? And when you look at people and you that are successful, you go, how'd you get there? Well, I got help. I had a network. I had this, I had people helping me. Um, and you know, th they don't look at it as a bad thing. Although a lot of people kind no. of, uh, kind of would, you right. know, like, Oh, you, you were helped in this. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I got the car and the house and everything. So I don't care who helped me. I care about the result. Right. And I think so. We just get so caught up in our heads, you know, and, um, yeah, I think it's just always important to remind people of that. And especially like, you know, if you need help with strictly anxiety as well, go and get help. Like we're, we're all, like, go talk to somebody, talk to somebody you can confide in, talk to a therapist, talk to whoever to get you back to that point. Because once you're at a good point where you've helped yourself, then that's when you can start helping others and then bringing people back in, into that group. And if everybody just helped one person or spread joy to one person or did any of that shit, Life would be very different. The whole planet would come together and be like, you know what? You're a person. I'm a person. Shit. Let's just hang out. We all want the same things to be happy, to have a family, to be healthy. Right? Um, right. It wouldn't just be 
exactly. the ripple in the pond, right? I yeah. mean, that's, that's what we're all looking for. I mean, that's, I, I hope that's what we're looking for because that's the good stuff, right? And yep. to, to your point, the courageous thing is in asking for the help, right? Because we talked about that. That, that to yep. me is the vulnerability. That I, I admire people tenfold when uh, they need it and they say it. You know, otherwise, you know, that's the first step. What a courageous act just to say, hey, man, I'm suffering. Can you can you direct me? Can I can you help me? Can you show me where I can get help? What what courage? Amazing, amazing human being. That's that's the good stuff. So, yeah. No, I, I agree. You know, it's it's something that I even till this day struggle with sometimes. And it, it doesn't have to be something big, right? Like I need help with my mental health or something like that going on in my life. Even the simple things, I may be just working on something at home. And, you know, sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, you know, I should ask for help. I, I don't know why I'm not, right? And I, I know it too. Right. Sometimes you just get caught up in it and I'm like, and then I'll go and I'll ask for help, right? From, you know, either my wife or my, you know, my father or my father-in-law or someone else. Right. And... You know, the, 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 like you said, there is this courage in asking for help, but then as someone who's also providing the help, there's this joy or this um, sense of fulfillment that someone came to you for help and you were able to help them, right? And you were able to uh, give them something right. that, that they were asking for. So it, it, is, it is very much a two-way kind of... Of course. And what do you guys think is the the trigger what what is what is precluding people from asking is it the fear of rejection the fear of someone saying um, i can't help you sorry or you know what what is it why is it so difficult because i find it difficult too <laughs> and um i think again it, it almost feels like a vulnerability like you're like they might say no or they i don't know i all i can liken it to and i get this is a horrible uh uh a parallel is is asking a girl out for the first time right it's like she might say uh hey what what the who the hell are you, you know? <laughs> well i mean instead of asking a girl out, we could say it's like uh telling off mel gibson huh for the <laughs> first time. that's probably a better one um, as long as you didn't go to the bidet again i was gonna be okay <laughs> good good there no, no, no. no more shit I think for guys specifically, it's it's the whole, am, why am I not strong enough to do this myself, right? This like, at least in my, kind of like in my upbringing and in my cultural, you know, in my culture, what I've seen is guys try and do it themselves because if they can't do it themselves, then they're like, well, I'm weak. I can't, I'm not strong enough. I'm Armenian. Okay. And that, that is born out of the Armenians being just tough, closed off. What, what, what is the, what is the basic? What is yeah. The, I mean, kind of like fending for themselves. Yeah. Just fending for themselves, you know, living through, um, you know, genocide and kind of having to rebuild after that and, you know, kind of keep Armenia on the map, so to say. And I think a lot, and even before that, um, I think it's just the kind of people that they were in the region that they lived in and what they had to do. And a lot of that has kind of come over, right? Passed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And it is changing now, which is, which is good. It's changing for the better. But I think a lot of it does still come from your cultural 
upbringing. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, I, I'd say, I think it has to do with this kind of thing I've been toying around with for an idea. Like, you know, you can only live your own life, right? Like every day I go to bed, I wake up as me. You wake up as you. A shot, you probably wake up as you. I don't know, unless some freaky Friday thing, you wake up as somebody else. Um, <laughs> hey, you don't know it, that. I, I, that's what I'm asking. But you're, 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 you're always yourself. And you know yourself and you're with your own thoughts and you know when you're being authentic or not and everything. But it's very hard to put yourself truly in another person's shoes and to be empathetic. We can come very close, but even mm -hmm. if you experience the same exact thing, you're going to have different reactions, right? Um, so that's why like the, the book of moments is great because you can talk about those different reactions to those different things, right? And those seminal moments. But at the end of the day, it's like you, you've only dealt with yourself, not other people. So when it's somebody else doing it, like if somebody came to you and said, hey, I need help with X, Y, and Z, you'd probably gladly give them help, right? Especially if they're one of your friends. Um, but you also feel good helping as well, right? Like, oh, I, I feel like I was valuable. I helped them out. We conquered the problem together. And it's that divide between us seeing ourselves as special and different from everybody else in the world because we're in our thoughts constantly that I think blocks us mentally from thinking, well, I like it. I like giving people help, right? When they ask me for help, it's really cool. Why don't I do it for other people? So it's almost like if you framed it as I'm asking for help for that person and not for yourself, then maybe you could get away with it more like, oh, like this person is really successful. I want to know their advice. Um, and kind of like, I'm going to give them a mentee, mm -hmm. you know, somebody that, that they can then mentee and they can give really good advice to almost like you have to frame it as a way that it's not yourself. Cause when our egos get involved, they're just like, no, nah, don't do that. Like, don't, don't be a little bitch. You don't need to ask for help. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. But then, you know, it, uh, one way I heard it described too is like, uh, if you talk to your, uh, if you had a friend that talked to you the way you talk to yourself, you would not be friends with that person. That's, that's a great that's what a, a wonderfully articulate thing to say. And it's, it's, if that in itself doesn't get you out of the, you know, your mind, then, you know, what can, because that's a perfect, you would never hang out with a person who talked to you like that. I wouldn't. Right. Right. I mean, good God. That's a, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, so you kind of want to befriend that inner voice and understand why they're not letting you do that, why they're being upset at you. Right. And then kind of think like, like when I think about that now, I've done this in like personal coaching stuff that like I've gone through for work and they're like, I'm like sad for my inner voice. My inner voice is like, you're not good enough. It's like, yeah, buddy, that was probably when you were five years old and missed right. the, missed the ball and T-ball. You think you weren't right. good enough your whole life. Like, bro, I'm great. Like, I feel bad that, 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 that you think that inner voice, but like, look at the you know, evidence to the contrary. So you just have to kind of, you know, give yourself that patience, that time and be, be vulnerable enough to say, this does scare me. This is different, right? I don't know. I don't have everything figured out. And you don't have to, right? Nobody does. Everything again, everything we do is fucking made up. Right. We just, especially in this podcast, we just hit record and go. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's so true though. And, and it would also teach people to talk nicer to themselves, right? Because your friend would always talk to you like that. So maybe even better advice, listen to how your friends talk to you, the people you're most comfortable around, how they react to you because you're a good person, you're fun to be around those things and listen to those words and replace the 
thoughts in your mind with those words, right? Or, or you know, I don't know. I, it's easier said than done. I get that, but yeah, uh, it's a that's a great example. I mean, obviously there <laughs> there's some work behind that. I, I understand, but uh, that's I like that a lot. That's yeah, I agree. Good work. Go, going along with what you said, something that I've um, I, I follow this daily stoic uh, newsletter that comes out daily. And one of the recent ones was something similar to that, Matt, where, you know, it was saying how when someone else makes a mistake, right, you give them a second chance, right? If your friend makes a mistake, you're like, it's all right, you know, it's just a mistake, you know, something happens, it's okay, you know, you'll move on, you'll get past it. But as soon as something happens to you, you're like, how can I make, how can I have made this mistake? I'm a failure, right? How can I have done this? I, you know, you take it so personally, you know, how can this happen to me? And, 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 you know, it, it goes back to that, right? You got to be kinder to yourself mm-hmm. and, and realize that, you know, you got to take care of yourself too. It's not only about thinking of other people. You got to kind of give that same patience, that same care for you. That, so true. And the other thing is, is that, when your mind's talking to you like that, I, I I will guarantee you that it is not as grave as you're saying. <laughs> Take it from me. I, I see it. I see death every day. It's not as grave as you're making it. And uh, there is a way out. And it's just, it's that next step that you guys were both talking about to ask, say, hey, give me some help. Help me, help me see why I'm, my mind's not talking to me right. And, right. uh, and the people are out there for sure. For sure. Yeah. Wow, guys. <laughs> you got some mad knowledge in those brains. <laughs> <laughs> Just from talking to great people like you, Chris. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but uh, you're young men to have that kind of knowledge. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. See, 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 that was the inner voice coming out, right? Yeah, maybe. You said great people like you, and you said, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> Fuck that, Chris. You're great, right? You were a great guest, all right? I'm sure that um, everybody, you know, shit, there's all five books I'm sure they would love. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, the Book of Moments Part 1 to come out so I can talk about my bidet. I'm already practicing how I want to how I want to word that and how many O's I want to put for ooh. Put those um, notes in there, the little screen marks. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's in part one, Matt, and you yeah. don't have to wait till part two. Yeah, that's gonna be I mean, well I'll get you both early. <laughs> there we go. I'm gonna put them on I'm gonna put them on my coffee table and force my friends to read them. Like turn to page fifty six. Yeah, exactly. The toilet yeah. moment. Click it's on that one. Writing you in know? the sidebar there in the page. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll mess with them. I'll use like a you know like a like I'll put like a brown smudge on it or something. Like, what? Like, yeah, that was that was a recent one. Oh that my! Was a recent one. Don't, don't don't touch that side of the page. Um, oh, that's funny. R- real shit only in here, boys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, no. I mean, it, it was it was great chatting with you, Chris. Um, I I know at, at some points like we've all said the same thing different ways, but. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to kind of close it off, do you have any like final words or final message for everybody listening at home? Uh, you know, other like how best you would put it. Um, I maybe, think just, maybe make a funeral pun. I don't know. Yeah, um, no. I'll be, the last one. I'll be the last one to let you down. Um, no, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I like that one for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, again, like I said, uh, you know, family, uh, family and friends going to be going to be there forever. 
stay with them, keep your circle small, um, enjoy what you do. Time is short. One thing you cannot get more of is time. So uh, use it wisely and, uh, and, and talk to people. I mean, you guys, this is, this is a wonderful podcast and so topical in, in what the country is going through and so needed. So I, I hope your viewership just explodes because uh, just such resonance and such wisdom in, like I said, such young men. So that's really awesome. Awesome to yeah. see. Thank you. Thank, I thank you, so much Chris. More than I think you guys learned from me, but thank you. No, no, I, th I think we, uh, we, we definitely got a lot of out of this. <laughs> yes, a, a ton, and that's that's life, right? Sharing yeah, stories I'm... about the stuff you've been through. Not everybody can go through the same stuff. That's why you got to talk about it. That's why you write books, you write it down, you do a podcast, whatever. Share and um, I can't. Damn, I can't think of any puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, right. Chris. I thank you. Thank you guys for the time. Much success.